So I'd like to think that your uh, network redesign is what made it a hectic day, but I know that it's not. <laughs> I haven't even gotten there yet, and I've just been working on documentation so that I figure it out before I get halfway through it. Hey, in good news, all of my audio levels are fine. They carried over from last week, and they are not foobard. Excellent. Yay! <clears throat> Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I did so, notice I did notice an odd hum through some of the audio from last week. Just FYI. Okay, I'll make sure. Because the the thing that I the spruce that I used, I usually disconnect it, and now I assume that I disconnected it last week, but I'm second guessing that. And it wasn't it wasn't bad, but it was noticeable. I just figured I'd mention it in case it was the case. Well, I'm on battery power now. <laughs> okay. So, your house story. Yeah, so last week, as we recorded, we had gone to see two houses back-to-back. One of them that I had complained about the relatively shoddy quality, and the other one, I think we had decided and gone ahead and submitted an offer on. I can't remember. Uh, uh, last week, you were we started late because you were submitting an offer. Right, okay. So, I think you were submitting an offer on... Uh, a house that's at 1813. Yes, that one. Okay, the red so, door. Yeah. We um, we got word back that we were beat out, The uh, but we were the second highest offer, and so they asked if we wanted to remain as a backup offer. I thought, sure, why not? Yeah, because how could that be a bad thing? Yeah, because it's not like it stops me from going and looking around, and then if I find something, I just pull my offer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, then we went and looked at three other houses, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of them, we were talking through whether it would be something that we'd want to try to guess at the like rough dollar amount to do to undo the work the flipper did and then put some a little bit of money into it and do something else. That's the um, one where you're like, oh, this is the one that's like, oh... Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Was that um was that 5885? No, so I I never sent you the link to that one. Uh, no, you did because you I uh, said the, something. The okay. other one, the one that I sent you a link to uh, is the one that had the what I thought was a DIYer. Oh, okay, two bad flippers. Well, they weren't a flipper. They just didn't Oh, they just the bad DIY. Okay. Yeah. So okay, it was the, the bad DIYer uh 5885. Um See, I don't remember the first parts of the addresses. I have to look real quick. I was just trying to be discreet. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. No, the um, 5885 is the one with the walk-around uh, walk um, fireplace. Okay, so no, that was the one that we... That was the first one that we put an offer on. Yeah. The 4636 one is the one there... They just priced it like it's new construction. Yes. And the flipper's work wasn't the best. Um. 533, or no, 233 was the one last week that was the DIYer. I don't think, yeah, you did not send me that. I did. It's in the message history. That's why I looked. <laughs> I just don't think we talked much about it because I just said it was one that we went to that we didn't like the, the look of. Um, so anyway, so the, the, one, uh, the one that we remained the backup offer on got in touch with our agent yesterday and said that the original seller or the original buyers or one of the original buyers family members got involved and killed the deal for which wait which one for the the 1813 one okay the one that okay. we remained a backup offer on so yesterday they asked do you want to continue or you know, do you want to proceed I said sure so as of today we are under contract contingent Yay. on the inspection Oh yeah, that's awesome. So that's that's why it's been a hectic day because I then had to juggle phone calls and scheduling the inspection and everything around a already busy work day. So the the network redesign topic it is actually because of the house I'm putting the thought into redoing things uh, properly. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I'm also changing things a little bit. So I don't know if we want to put that in the show or if I think, I think we should, I think okay. we should. Okay. So, 
I'll, I'll just say that uh, I was, so I don't look at Facebook that much anymore. I have moved it uh, off of the home screen of my phone. That's all I did. And it turns out I go days and days without looking at Facebook where I used to, um, when it was just on the front screen of my phone, I would look at it pretty often. But I happened to be looking at it just the other day. And a guy I worked with in New York who was, uh, he was also a genius. Um, uh, he's, he put a picture up of, of his home network. And I'm like, this looks like this could be in Jesse's house. Let's get rivals most small and medium businesses. <laughs> yeah. I, um, so I, I, I started diagramming what I have, like just physical devices and because I'm in preparation for assuming this, this house purchase actually goes through, you know, the inspection is where we want it and everything else. I'm going to finally actually properly install my infrastructure. Uh, and by that, I mean like my wireless access points will actually be mounted and placed in uh, ways according to best performance and that kind of thing. They won't just be either sitting on the table or just shoved on a, a wall that's convenient next to a you know, power POE outlet or something like actually going to have to climb and run cable again for a change. Ooh. And uh, I don't know that I look forward to it at all, but <laughs> that's a whole different topic at this point. Uh, but in doing so, as I've mapped out these things, I've started realizing that I also want to wipe out my existing configuration and redo it with my infrastructure changes in mind. Because I have more access points than I need to cover the square footage, for sure. Okay. Um, and as a result, I could do a couple of VLANs specific to like IOT things and have those driven off maybe two access points. And then the other access points create a mesh for like user space, that kind of thing. Um, and I haven't completely subdivided it out at this point. My first step was just, this is my infrastructure and these are the connection points. And uh, this is where I'm going to use uh, like these cameras connected to this switch, these access points connected to this switch, et cetera, just physical number to distribute them across switches kind of thing. Um, so I got my initial diagram. I also maybe decided I was going to add a device to the mix. So have you heard of the firewall, firewall or security no. appliance? No. Um, it, it has popped up on my radar a number of times. I finally decided, all right, I'm going to order one just to play with. I'm going to run it in, they have a, a transparent bridge mode that I can use where I can run everything as it currently exists, but put it in between my UDM Pro and my distribution switch and have it not impact any traffic or anything, but it can do uh, you know, traffic inspection and things. It would be a supplement to the capabilities of the UDM Pro. Same type of capabilities, just different interface and all. Um, part of why I decided I would do it is one, I could do like per device, some parental controls settings that I have to do at the network level with the Unify stuff at the moment. And I've seen enough hits on the intrusion prevention system off the UDM Pro that to me having a secondary one is fine. Just because if something does get passed and this picks up an abnormal traffic pattern, which is something that the UDM Pro uh, cannot do, then I have that capability as well. So it's just a supplement to my existing network from a security-minded perspective. But what sold me on it was that whole transparent bridge mode, because it means I can use the setup that I want to use, I can add this, and it doesn't screw anything up. Um, so back to the, the network redesign. So knowing that I'm going to add in this device and I'm going to have to find a new location for all my, my rack and my infrastructure and everything, and I'm going to have to run cables, I've been also mapping out where I'm going to drop cable drops, and then I'm going to actually use a patch panel again and do it properly. So I have two documents right now that will grow because I need to create a floor plan and start figuring out where I'm going to put things, but... Uh, the one, first document is just the general network topology diagram. 
The second document is a numbers spreadsheet where I have ports labeled and which ports will be connected to which devices so that I can actually keep track of it as I'm mapping out things from a, a topology perspective. So yeah, I'm redoing my network yet again. Yay. I know you love it. I don't mind. It'd be nice to have it in a state <laughs> that I actually want it to be in. You know, I, I look forward to having like my in-wall access points actually in the wall. I'm not just laying on the ground or on a, a, a piece of furniture. And I look forward to my uh, overhead access points actually mounted on the ceiling in the appropriate places and spaced and you know, network throughput and everything being exactly what it should be. I 100% understand knowing what it lives. I understand, I understand what it's like to know that I'm living in a place that I'm not going to live in forever. And I just now realized while you were talking about this, cause I was like, like, uh, I was thinking, I was like, Oh wait, I'm now in a place where like, I have no intentions of ever moving out of, um, Ooh, maybe I should start thinking about something like this. Sadly, even though this house is brand new, that nobody nobody thought to run network cable because everybody does wireless now. You know, there's a there's a brief period of time where houses were um, wired with Ethernet. Um, what does I say? If you'd like a uh, if you'd like some help uh, uh, with your physical the physical cable runs and crimping and you know doing you know um, terminating cable, let me know. I bought me a uh, I bought a uh, about one. I will absolutely take you up on that offer because it yeah. sucks running cable by yourself. I know. I know. Uh, I do it. at least have all of the equipment, and I even have a box of Cat 6 uh, just waiting that I don't even remember when I bought it now. But yeah, the, the tough part's just going to be making myself actually get in there and do the cable runs. Not long after I turned 19, I got a job working in a place uh, where. Part of my responsibilities were to manage the physical part of the network. Um, it was like this small, you know, one of those metal buildings with a brick front and Pelham on uh, 31, uh, where 31 and 119 intersect. Yeah. And um, I worked down there, and this company, this was it was a weird company because they're the they hosted youth camps for church youth like church youth groups and and i think they also had a kids camp and they were weird because their administrative side uh used all mac and this was 2001 so like when i when i got there like one of the i think the first week i worked there was up 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 taking a, a compact disc and updating all of the macs to uh, OS 9.2.1, I think. And so that was the administrative side. And then the creative side used all PC. It was bizarre. And given the, given the time frame, I can understand why. Yeah. I, um, well, well the reason that about the time that I was adopting the Mac. Yes. So the reason this was, uh, yeah, I think I told, I think I've told the story about the, the place I worked where the, the boss had a uh, titanium MacBook Pro, no, PowerBook, Oof. and uh, it came in wrinkled one day, and they're like, please fix it, or please replace which was replace it, uh, but like, yeah. the metal was wrinkled. They're like, I don't have, <laughs> he, he, he started and owned the company, so he didn't have to, uh, he didn't have to explain what happened, but we were just, my boss and I were looked at it and were like, Okay, <laughs> but I just, I remember like they had a bunch of of the black power books, like the last power books, the or the model power books before the titanium ones. Uh, a lot of folks were on the um, the uh, color, the candy colored iMacs. I know we had blue ones, we had a red one, we had slate and snow, and um, yes. Uh, I don't, we did not have tangerine. We did not have lime. We had a bunch of, we actually had a bunch of the Bondi blue ones as well. Um, and then the uh, G4 IMAX came out and I remember when somebody got that one and 
all those folks that they like some of the the more te the the direct the camp directors they all had handsprings and so I just remember thinking it's like those are cool but yeah um, the main reason that the administrative side was on um, Mac was because the founder's wife was a graphic designer so she used Mac and when they were starting the company you know in the mid 90s I think they you know they had like one computer and it was a Mac and they needed to make a database and so they went with FileMaker Pro so that's what kept them on Mac it's better than doing your like customer database and access like I had to mm -hmm. do mm -hmm. I mean I, th I mean I remember seeing that, so that was my first exposure to Mac OS and Apple computers I think I had I know that the computer that they gave me was a hand-me-down uh, when I got there. It was on OS 8.6, and it was a performer something. I don't remember. Like, I feel like it's like an 8600 is the number that was on it, but I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, well, let me take that back. It was either performer or quadra. Ah, I cannot remember. Those, yeah, I, those, I don't know the model as well prior yeah, to the, the titanium. Would, yeah, well, this would have been like a model that came out pr prior to... Uh, the the uh, second coming of Steve Jobs. Yeah. So, but I remember sometime in the run that I worked there because I worked there three years, I think, and three or four years, and I remember inheriting my boss's uh, G four Mac what, what, uh, Power Power Mac G four. Man, I'm like giving them Intel names. I inherited my uh, boss's Power Mac G4, and when he got a Quicksilver G4, I don't know if you remember the Quicksilver. I definitely remember the Quicksilver. I still have one. It's so pretty. It's so pretty. And I remember getting on Jaguar. Um, they let me install Jaguar, and I was like, "This is cool." I forgot about my Quicksilver actually, because we we've gotten to a point where we have so much stuff that we've had to kind of shove into corners. Like it's beside a bookcase with some other stuff on top of it in the bedroom at the moment. So I'm looking forward to it being able to come out and be displayed with the G4 Cube uh, somewhere mm -hmm. in the office. Mm -hmm. We none of us, no, nobody there had an Apple display. Um, they all had. I remember they all had ViewSonic displays, and they were transitioning from CRT displays to flat panel. You remember Sony's Trinitron displays? I oh, yeah. I used to want one of those so bad. Me too. And I'm so glad I never got one. Why? Uh, just because the technology accelerated quick enough that by the time I could have afforded it, I would have been Oh, mad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, just, I remember, so uh, this thing that I did as a kid was... I'd get the service merchandise catalog and be like, if I was living on my own today and I didn't even think about it in terms of like, and had, you know, unlimited funds or unlimited funds for a person that would imagine what unlimited funds would be like. Cause like, if you think about it, like when people, or at least when I was that age and I talked about unlimited funds, I was thinking about the things that I buy from service merchandise, which is not what you would do if you had unlimited funds, because you could buy a yacht if you truly had unlimited funds. Right, yeah. So, anyway, let's say six-figure income um, in the in the mid to late 90s. But I remember thinking, like, oh, I want, a, like, a 36-inch Triniton, Sony Triniton TV because they had the whole thing where um, the curve only occurred in one, like, left to right, and it was supposed to help with glare. Do you remember that about the glass? I do. Yeah. I th well, I was also I was also a big Sony fanboy at the time as well because they got me with the Walkman. I I know we've talked about it before in a couple of different points, maybe not in a lot of detail, but like even today, I would love to have a Sony TV. I just refuse to pay their price tag. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think they're the they're I know they they were the first, but they still might be the only company that has the. Quantum dot OLED on the market. Yeah, it seems like I saw Samsung finally released one. Well, it's a Samsung and, panel, right? 
but it, I think they finally released an actual TV with it. Okay. Maybe not, but it, it seems like I saw something about it, like from CES. Okay, okay. That makes sense, because I remember when Sony, Sony released their QD, QD OLED um, June of last year, so Samsung. And I... And I may not be, I may not have seen what I thought I saw. It may be that it was coming soon or later this year or something too. But there's at least some sort of uh, announcement surrounding the Samsung releasing one themselves as well, finally. Yeah. I, I say I, finally like it matters, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it just seemed, you know, it's, it's like Samsung, you make this panel and only Sony is putting this panel on a TV and you're not. Uh, I, and I understand why, but it just still, regardless of understanding why, it still seems like, come on guys, get your act yeah, together. It's it's funny how things like that work. I mean, Samsung manufactured a number of chips for Apple too. Mm-hmm. And they didn't use them? Well, I mean, they contractually couldn't. Well, yeah. It is a, a I w- I'm not overly interested in it, like to actually go research it, but it's fascinating to me how those contracts get negotiated and executed. Well, it's kind of one of those things that there's one part of Samsung that's like, we can't turn this down. Like, like there's just too much money to be made that we cannot turn it down. And it's not going to stop people from buying our phones because people who are going to buy the, they're going to, you know, they're either, if they don't, if we don't manufacture these chips, somebody else will. Um, Taiwan and uh, and then we'll you know that's leaving money on the table uh, because because it's not really it's not really cannibalizing their market but the idea of like they had this well you would think that they would have you know if they developed this panel they would have provided to the, their TV division to have the TV that they put this panel in ready to go before anybody else did or maybe they attempt well i don't know but maybe they attempted to do that and they just had some problems and sony got theirs out first because they also couldn't not sell these to sony makes sense to me but it also makes sense to me if they're like yeah um the samsung tv making division isn't interested in this panel quite yet and but we're going to sell them you know our the development side has developed it and and Sony's ready for it and we're going to sell to them. It makes sense to me that even because it's again, um, I don't think they're cannibalizing their, their TVs by not having this one on the market. Yeah, no, I, um, there are enough people at this point who buy solely based on brand loyalty or, or, you know, perception that I, I don't think Samsung has anything to worry about as far as market share. I would be one of those people's if I had the money to buy a Sony TV, but I don't want to spend that kind of money on a Sony TV. <laughs> but see, I don't think about like, like I don't buy like the off brand of cereal uh, because I have the money to spend on the name brand of cereal. When, when TVs become like cereal to me, I'll buy a Sony TV. That's a, it's an interesting <laughs> analogy. I like it. Thanks. <laughs> um, I think that's about all I have on those. Do we want to actually shift to these other two topics that are kind of intertwined? Uh, I, th- I think so. I like uh, I like them. I um, um, I wasn't sure if I wanted to even talk about them, but as I kind of read through the stories, I at least felt like I wanted to call out a couple of interesting pieces. And then most of it is in context of what all is coming out of the uh, Dominion voting systems lawsuit. As a tangential preamble, can I just say that I enjoyed the video that was linked from the article or that was linked in an article that was linked to an article that you sent to me from John Gruber and Daring Fireball? Sure. I'll include the link uh, from that one in the show notes as well because it's it's interesting to see the difference. Yeah, I was, you know, it's Tucker Carlson getting up on stage in 2009 talking about how Fox News needs to be a, like, have journalist. basically they lack and should have journalistic integrity. And um, I was listening to it, 
and Becca was on the couch next to me. She couldn't see who it was. And I was like, hey, uh, who do you think this is? And she started guessing some names. I was like, you're so off. It's Tucker Carlson. And she's like, what? And, you know, especially because, like, just recently, um, he, the the issue that they had with, uh, was it, did they fire somebody for yeah, fact-checking? Yeah, the there was a, a, a fairly green or green's not the right term uh term someone who was low on the totem pole so to speak that uh fact checked something uh what specifically was it we we just talked about it a couple of episodes ago i can go back and or just if two shows you want to know the yeah if you want to know the specifics listen to two episodes back but yes there was somebody that was fact checked and he uh they fired him yeah yeah, and, and he was, and Carlson was the primary driver of that person needs to be fired for fact checking, which he was. You know, it's just funny to watch him state. You know, especially because we've talked about how to be conservative, you have to um, pick whatever metaphor of you know doing the most ironic things. I was thinking, I can't remember if it's like swim in the pool of irony, drown in the pool of irony, choke on the. The drink of iron. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it's you. It to be conservative, you have to accept that you're going to do something that's highly ironic. I'm not sure what it. it I th- I think the there are two things there, right? So I I wouldn't necessarily say to be conservative, but the modern brand of conservatism. Fair enough. That you always see and hear about, right? Because you could be conservative without necessarily being completely ironic, I think, in some areas. I'm not exactly sure what those would be, you know, off the top of my head, but I I have a hard time just saying all of being a conservative requires some level of irony. Um, not that I have examples to the contrary, so maybe, <laughs> you know. But I, I think it, the bigger thing is that what we hear of conservatist people and the conservatist movements in general is extreme and it cannot exist without a fairly strong undercurrent of irony. Oh, I like, I like the way you put that. It took me a moment to think of it. I'm not going to lie. So these articles, there, there are two that I linked, um, for us to kind of draw from this does kind of continue from a couple of weeks ago. All of this is uh, kind of viewed through a lens of evidence forthcoming from the, the dominion voting systems lawsuits against Fox and some other ancillary legal battles. But one thing in particular that caught my eye after, uh, was it a, two weeks ago, roughly? Maybe about the time we recorded last that we mentioned in passing uh, that Kevin McCarthy gave 41,000 hours of video footage to Tucker Carlson and Fox News. Um, maybe we didn't call it out on the show, but I remember it being something that I at least had notated. And from those hours of footage... In Tucker, in Tucker Carlson's primetime show, they picked and aired clips that were of moments that were not necessarily violent to try to create a narrative uh, characterizing January 6th as a nonviolent, peaceful encounter. And the article, the reason it caught my eye, the uh, D.C. police chief, or no, Capitol Police Chief, not D.C. Police, Capitol Police Chief issued a statement which is very abnormal uh, for this particular person. And that's what I wanted to actually call out more so than anything. So I'm going to read that part of the, the article. In an unusually, or it's an unusually blunt statement from Manger who has labored to keep his department away from political conflagrations, the pushback could easily put the chief at odds with Speaker McCarthy, who had granted Carlson unfettered access to internal footage related to the riot, 
But Manger wasn't done or wasn't alone in his criticisms. A number of Republican senators said they were, at the very least, troubled by Carlson's depiction. The statement specifically uh, was that the uh, primetime episode, Carlson's primetime episode, uh, was. <coughs> Excuse me, I knew that was coming and I was trying to get through before it did. Um, was a mischaracterization of what actually occurred and was. Um, I, I should have actually pulled that specific quote. Let me pull it back <laughs> up just to make sure I read it appropriately. Manger wrote in an internal message to officers that Carlson's Monday night primetime program, quote, conveniently cherry-picked from the calmer moments of our 41,000 hours of video, end quote, to incorrectly portray the violent assault as more akin to a peaceful protest. He added that Carlson's, quote, commentary fails to provide context about the chaos and violence that happened before or during these less tense moments, end quote. And so, I don't, I don't. well, and, and and one other piece that I just wanted to to add to that, and then we can either discuss it or move on. Really, um, Representative or Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana is someone whose name I had not seen called out before. His statement was, "Quote: I was here. It was not peaceful. It was an abomination." You're entitled to believe what you want in America, but you can't resort to violence to try to convince others of your point of view. End quote. And then I know I've mentioned Romney before, um, but his quote was, uh, he described the day as a violent attack and said, any effort to normalize that behavior is dangerous and disgusting. Um, and I would just yet again add that I do like this version of Mitt Romney uh, for a number of different reasons. Yeah. Who? So, I don't want to focus on one particular person, but when you have this sort of depiction of an event, uh, a false depiction, uh, a misleading one, who's holding him? I mean, other than everyone is now reporting on this, and but like, where is the accountability? That's a really good question because yeah. it's not there at this point. Um, right. The, I mean, the hope, the hope is that the the Dominion lawsuit stands its ground and it lands a pretty significant financial blow to Fox News. But that's the closest I think that we're going to get. Yeah. Because that right now all we have are like we're pointing fingers, and that's good. I mean, that's. At least that's happening. Nobody's like trying to sweep this under the rug, but it's there's no accountability. Well, and and I wonder, like taking a, a step back from just how abhorrent this kind of behavior is, and thinking about it from a defensive standpoint. I wonder how much of it is something they can get away with without accountability because it's a quote-unquote entertainment show. Um, which that, to me, just means that we need much better regulation about what can be perceived as news and how it's presented and what you can and can't do. And let's make sure it's evident this is entertainment and not any level of truth. Yeah, you know, because, geez. Yeah, I mean, it's it's mind-boggling that there's not some level of accountability. It, it really is. If I were to start doing it, I'm pretty sure someone would come after me. <laughs> you know, uh, it's... And maybe not. Maybe a fringe person just publicly doing the same thing without any type of massive following wouldn't get noticed and would be written off as a, a cultist or you know conspiracy theorist or whatever but if that's what you're going to do for that person then how is an entire organization built on the same thing not easily labeled and classified as such as well i mean it i don't know it and this is why i, I said yeah. i really don't know if we have a whole lot to talk about it either it's just this is kind of a, a fascinating thing that i wanted to 
to mention because it's we're in the early stages of figuring out where this goes. It's kind of like the the former president's general path through different legal hurdles. We're in the early stages of not knowing where it's going to all shake out. Right. And the hope is that there's a certain level of accountability because that's what we need. I just don't know if we're going to get there. There is, however, and this is why I chose the other article, and this is how these blend together, which is, I think, clever. Um, there is progress in interpreting states' attempts to say F you to federal legislation uh, being reined in and kind of struck down. So Missouri passed a, a gun rights law that it was uh, it was signed into law in 2021, and it was an attempt to supposedly preserve the state citizenry's right to bear arms in accordance with the Second Amendment. I think that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. The name of the law is the Second Amendment Preservation Act. There are so many things wrong with that, but I, I don't feel like going down the same hole uh, as far as ranting goes. So I'll just pull a couple <laughs> of things from the article instead. Um, a judge ruled the legislation unconstitutional, which is, for everything that I can see, 100% the way to go. The The law itself was kind of strange to me, and I don't know if maybe I'm just not interpreting it quite right from the article uh, so I'm going to read what the law did first and then read the, the way it was struck down. Uh, so the, the act made it illegal for state or local officials to cooperate with federal agents to enforce orders, rules, or laws that go against the Second Amendment. And the reason I find this strange or, or odd is what exactly does that mean because there's no federal law or rule or order that would go against the second amendment that isn't already specifically called out in federal law in general right like as a, a felon you're not allowed to own a firearm right you know the, the like i don't quite understand that part part of the law other than uh, an attempt to keep state officials or state enforcement officers from being involved in activities related to firearms at all, which also seems kind of strange to me. Um, but anyway, the the other part of it is it gave um, Missouri's uh, citizens a right to sue local police departments if officials prevented their right to bear arms. So it was kind of a... a twofold like what the hell is this supposed to be trying to actually accomplish um, I, I, I mean I have a guess but keep going well I, the the realistic side of this is it's just Missouri's state legislation and governor were trying to say you can't tell us what to do yeah that's part of it um, the big um, go ahead go ahead I say the bigger picture for, well, you keep going because like, I think there's a bigger picture aspect to this. Okay. So on today, as we record, uh, so Tuesday, the uh, 7th, mm -hmm. um, U.S. District Judge Brian C. Wimes said the law violated the supremacy clause of the U.S. Constitution, which says that federal laws take priority over state laws. Uh, also said the law was counterintuitive to its purpose. Interestingly, and, and I, the other bullet points there, because I didn't realize this particular lawsuit was driven by the Department of Justice uh, because of the impact to its operations, the law is also being challenged in other legal uh, battles by the city of St. Louis, city of Jackson, and St. Louis counties. So the Department of Justice is just the first one that had a problem with this particular act. Mm -hmm. places within Missouri also have a problem with this particular act. Good for them. Exactly. Uh, and then I, I included a link to the supremacy clause because uh, I didn't know if we wanted to talk more about that in general. But basically, for anybody unaware, 
the supremacy clause just says if there's a conflicting set of laws, federal law trumps state law. Yeah, that sort of makes sense. Yeah, it's like well, it's like how um, uh, once Roe versus Wade was passed, you know, whatever state laws were in place for um, whatever state laws were in place for abortion that was over or I guess made moot by the passing of Roe versus Wade. Correct. Until it was repealed. And it's why the the legalization of marijuana is such a strange thing, because states are legalizing it, even though at the federal level, uh, unless recent developments have changed, it's still classified as an illegal substance. Yeah, that's where it's tricky, right? Because I'm I'm sure there's some legal... I don't want to say loophole, but there's like, here's this direction where this is legal here. Because this this also occurred with uh, gay marriage, where states this state made it legal and that state made it legal and this other state made it legal and so forth. And uh, whereas it's like, is it illegal? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not there, entirely sure. There was a difference with gay marriage because there was no law specifically uh, disallowing it at the federal level. It just wasn't recognized in the law. Right. Um, I, I did realize that as I was saying it, but I, I kept going. Yeah. And, you know, the, the marijuana one to me is fascinating because here's one where there was a, a I'm going to call it a mistake in over extremely classifying it as the worst possible level of controlled substance. Right. I, I think. I actually don't know is it what level it's classified at. That's funny. It's scheduled three. Um, well, it, it's weird because it's like in some states it's legal recreationally and and uh, illegal in other. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's just a fascinating one in general, right? And part of what makes it interesting is that states that have legalized it for recreational use have generally just made the statement that we're not going to enforce those laws here. Not that like a federal agent could still absolutely enforce them there, which is a strange dichotomy. Um, But the federal government typically actually doesn't do a lot of enforcement of marijuana possession related laws anyway, or, or cases. Most of the federal drug crimes are, uh, other substances. Yeah. I was going to say, it's Schedule 1. I looked it up. And I don't remember, it, the schedule, schedule 1 is the first or highest? I think it's the first, because I think Schedule 3 is the highest. Okay. Either way, it's misclassified. <laughs> and I say this as someone who actually doesn't even care one way or another about the, the whole argument. It just, I find it hilariously fascinating. I'm wrong. I'm, I'm wrong. Schedule one is the the worst case. Yeah, because uh, here's a list of schedule uh, a list of drugs or substances listed in DA Schedule one: uh, heroin, LSD, mescaline, MDMA, GHB, ecstasy, psy- psilocybin, synthetic marijuana, meth, uh, meth, Oh, quaalude. Quaila? Yeah, uh, cat. Bath salts, bath salts, <laughs> and marijuana. I don't know where. Um, I, I picked heroin because I thought heroin would be pretty. You know, that's pretty, pretty bad. But I don't know where methamphetamine exists. It's hilarious that it's lower. I, well, I assume lower. Okay, maybe I'm wrong because uh, meth, uh, crystal meth is schedule two. So maybe one is the lowest. Maybe one is. The well, that lowest. doesn't make sense because heroin. I thought that was pretty. Yeah, me too. All right, so maybe we'll we'll research that a little bit more later. Yeah, I, I say as I shake my head, no. I mean, because you you can see that on the mic. <laughs> uh. So I think the bigger I think the bigger picture here is that, and I, I wouldn't I don't necessarily think that the lawmakers in Missouri that are. Um, that put forth this law are the masterminds behind this. I would expect that they are also pawns in this, but the bigger picture is, is that they have wanted us to believe that the guns would protect us from tyranny. 
of government. And in the meantime, you know, they they made healthcare unaffordable, they broke up unions, they privatized prisons, and corporations are running this country via lobby. And the guns didn't protect us from that tyranny. We have a number of different ways set up for you to get in touch with us to provide feedback, ask questions, or just comment in about something we've discussed. You can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at untitled underscore hosts, or shoot an email over to untitled.hosts at gmail.com. Or get in touch directly with jesse at jtheart.com, or get in touch with me, John, via telepathy. If you would like to support our work, or are interested in listening to our new after-show feed, head over to patreon.com slash theuntitledpodcast and take a look at the options we have set up. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And we hope to connect with more of you as we continue this journey. That's a wrap. That's what I think the bigger picture is. You know, it's 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 interesting when there's that that statement that you just don't want to follow because it's what are you going to say to that? You know, um, I completely agree. the The protection from tyranny argument is relatively ridiculous in the face of a functioning democracy. Yeah, and there's no reason to be concerned about the the tyranny of government for lack of any other better phrasing. If you have people engaged with the democratic process, the well, say you don't, the guns aren't going to do anything because there's two ways they'll take you out. One, uh, a drone strike. If, if uh, you over there, who's got your arsenal of, uh, uh, military style rifles um the government decides that they they're oh, we don't need you anymore uh, yeah they could take you out fabulously with a drone strike there's you you're not protected from that but uh at the moment uh, the united states government is doesn't make a habit of you know uh, bombing its own people um so the other way is like all they have to do is uh, plant the information to uh, make it look like you are a criminal. I think um, that that one is a lot more scary. I mean, all I have to do is uh, fill your one of your devices with uh, CSAM and then uh, find a reason to inspect and then like, oh, you're in... I mean, they'll lock you away forever. I mean... I mean, those are very extreme... Yeah, cases. But my point is, it wasn't is, even it wasn't you're, even you're, so much that it's that the the argument about firearms being a level of protection against tyranny kind of fell once we developed a lot of weaponry in World War One and Two. Yeah, that is not available to the common person. I mean, you're not going to do much of anything against a tank. Sorry. Well, since it, well, <laughs> well, I mean, when you have one citizen with a tank. You remember? I don't know if you remember the the murder bulldozer, the you know, which was uh, the man who outfitted a bulldozer uh, as uh, to withstand like gunfire and so forth. I mean, he had a day, but that was about it. And again, if it if it came down to it, one drone you know drone strike, we're done in you know half an hour. Yeah, I mean the the modern landscape. Anyone, any organized group, honestly, unless you have access to some of the same uh, really high-powered weaponry available to the U.S. military, you're just not going to make it very long. Not in a direct conflict, and you're definitely not going to oppose any level of tyranny on the you know, scale of the entire country. I know they'll love this, but... Um... I can't think of any militia in this country that would be as well outfitted as perhaps the Taliban or ISIS. Certainly not the uh, conviction that they have. And 
those guys did not do well against the U.S. military. That's an interesting thought experiment for sure. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know enough people officially in any well-regulated militia to draw a conclusion. Uh, like, I don't know that I even know anybody that is officially in a well-regulated militia. Maybe. I'm sure someone uh, considers themselves to be. But nobody I know personally that is not actually active or uh, former military would even come close. Well, I was just thinking about... I, I, I certainly know that they don't have the conviction. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I know that for sure. Whether they're outfitted or not, I, I doubt it because, uh, I mean, at least, you know, the Taliban and ISIS had, you know, RPGs. I don't think that you can get them here. But it wouldn't surprise me if somebody had them, you know, on the down low. I'm, I'm certain anything that you want to get, you can get via unofficial channels. Sure. If you sure. want it bad enough and have the yeah. capital that's, you know, available at your disposal. Yeah, I saw Lord of War. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I got to go here. But it's just like, the other thing is, these folks are all driving uh, Chevy and Ford pickups. And you know that if you're going to go into this, you know, form a ragtag military, you have to have 1980s Toyota pickup trucks. <laughs> they just don't stop. I'm sorry, we, I have devolved this conversation into a place that is... No, it's it's fine. <laughs> I um I I have to laugh though because you know what I'd love to see? I would love to see a an actual proper organized group that is uh in Ford and Chevy pickups and just see what that looks like as opposed to a similarly properly organized group in nothing but like Jeeps and Land Rovers. And see what the difference in uh, levels of preparation and drills and that kind of thing would would equate to. It's like I know you don't you're not ready for war because of how much you spend on your truck. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, there's so I'm a part of a, a number of uh, uh, Toyota fanboy uh, groups on and and so forth. But uh, a little while, a few months ago, there was a uh, an a video and it was the audio was of a, a Toyota ad and the video was like a Middle Eastern military in Toyota trucks. <laughs> I'll see if I can find it and send it to you. It's, it's, it's amusing. <laughs>